Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, so we are still in our series on recalibrating our faith. And every once in a while, you know, when I'm in the middle of a series uh, and we've been doing this for a while, I wonder if people have kind of mm, forgotten uh, the relevancy of why we do a particular series on what topic or whatever. And I suspect that, you know, for some people uh, who may not be as familiar with the Christian faith, when you say something like recalibrating your faith in Christ or whatever, what does that mean? And they may be even asking the question like, you know, uh, in what way uh, is the Christian faith particularly relevant to me? Like, why is this helpful? Why, I mean, how could the Christian faith recalibrate my life? And I suppose in, in this room here, there's no, there aren't too many people who couldn't come up with their own story about how, if it were not for Christ, if it were not for your relationship with Jesus, how much more different your life would be, and that difference would not be a good thing. That difference would be a despairing thing, a discouraging thing. When I think about uh, how God, how the Holy Spirit spoke to me as a young man when I was 10, when I was 14 and 15, when I was 18, when I was in college, when I was newly married, when I was a young father, all of the ways in which God spoke to me and guided me through those challenging seasons of my life and how much more different my life would be I mean, in my own family, I have three brothers, um, and you've met the one, and it, it's, he would tell you, married five times, divorced four times. Uh, my next older brother, uh, divorced, remarried, I think, I don't know if he's been divorced twice, we, He's kind of stepped away from the family, and then uh, I have a younger brother whose life has just really been kind of disastrous. And I look at my life, I grew up in the same family, same everything, and the difference, the difference was how uh, God directed me out of all of that to break the terrible, destructive cycles that were being passed on from generation to generation, and the difference was um, my relationship with Christ and how he steered me out of that, out of the alcoholism, out of the obsessive compulsive behavior disorders, out of the codependency, out of, um, out of, you know, the, the, you know, the, just the inherent, uh, practice, just making really poor choices, not living in wisdom, that's not to say that I've arrived or that I'm perfect or whatever, but I'm saying that there's such a stark contrast between those two things. I'm still very much on this journey, trying to recalibrate my life more and more accurately over into the image of Jesus Christ. So now when you're a believer, it's easy to turn on the automatic pilot. It's easy to do what we've always done it's easy to live decades 
being virtually the same Christian that you were when you first came to faith in Christ. Virtually the same Christian. And so, you know, someone once said, if you aren't growing, then you're dying. Um, most of us, uh, if we're in business, we don't want to do exactly what we did the year before, the year before. The, we want to improve on what we did the year before. Most of us who, who have gardens or who grow things, you don't want what, just what you had the year before. You want more in terms of production than what you had the year before. Um, and so we have the ability to think about every other thing in life like that. But it's easy to forget that we are supposed to be on this trajectory of becoming more and more of what we, more than what we were the year before. And so this recalibration thing is designed to help us do that and to embrace our faith in a way that we're not bored because some people do get bored with their faith. And people like me sometimes don't help. Well, we pastors need to do a better job at helping our people to understand the immediacy, the relevancy, the joy, the power, the fulfillment that's associated, that's, that comes with a vibrant Christian life. So we've talked about a bunch of different things, and you know, when I get at the very end, and we're getting to the end of this series, uh, but when I get to the end of the series, you know, we'll kind of have a, a wrap-up of sorts, and I'm really hopeful that everybody here and everyone who's listening will take what we've discovered, what we've covered, to heart and, um, and allow it to change us, to change us. Now, I want to begin with 1 Peter, um, just as one of the primary texts of what we're talking about. So, Peter, who is writing this book to a group of Christians who are about to be persecuted in a horrible way by Emperor Nero, um, he writes this letter to prepare those people in this regard. So he says, in beginning with verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And this, for me, this particular passage right here, as each has received a gift, so in whatever gift God, the Holy Spirit, has given to you, use it to serve one another. And as you use it to serve one another, you are being stewards. And you are, and you are expressing God's grace in people's lives. So Peter's point here is, if we do not use our gift, if we withhold our gift, if we misuse our gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us, we, in effect, withhold God's grace. This is really important because there's an awful lot of unnecessary suffering going on in the world, in our communities, in our churches, because we don't 
use the gifts that God has given to us for other people who depend on us to use that gift. They are waiting for us, even though they may not know us, but they are in desperate need of us to use the gifts that God has given to us to be a blessing to them. And that in God's plan, in his purpose, in his providence, the gifts that we have been given are a means of grace in other people's lives. And there is unnecessary suffering that takes place as a result of that. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So um, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so God is glorified when we exercise his gifts that he has given to us. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but I do want to say this. There is a different difference between gifts. There's a difference between gifts and talents. There's a difference between gifts and skills. The gifts you receive when you become a believer... If you are not a believer, you do not have those gifts. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, um, so I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit because I, I just want to stay kind of on this. Um, so there is a, there is a, uh, let me see as I skip forward here because I want to, I want to keep the flow of what I'm talking to you about that. I want to bring up at this point then, I sent to everybody who's on my texting list, which is about 50 people, um, several websites where you could take a test for the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm just wondering, maybe I shouldn't ask, but for those of you, let me put it this way, for those of you who took the test, did you discover anything about that particular test that surprised you. Anybody want to mention that? Those of you who may have taken that test, anything that you take about that test surprised you? Yeah, Carol. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty interesting. Um, and it was, you know, a couple of them I was kind of surprised by. What were you surprised by? Can I ask? I think, um, like, exhortation. Yeah. All three of us. Yeah. And then my other sister and I both had faith. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Okay. But, yeah. All right. Yeah. You glad you took it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Well, that was my next question. Did, they, did you have one that surprised you? So... Uh, but the exhortation thing, I think, fits you because you set a high bar for yourself and for others in terms of what you what you do, and so that's a part of exhortation, you know. Uh, so that makes sense to me. Does it make sense? Yeah, that's the one that I thought I, I need to explore that more. Yeah. What does it mean exactly? Yeah. 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 Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Exactly. That's what needs to happen. Anybody else take a test that uh, you'd like to talk a little bit about? A little? No? Okay. So if I can find mine here, um, maybe I'll share a little bit of, of mine. Uh, you, just to encourage you all, if you haven't taken it, to consider taking it because it's, I think it's, uh, so this, these, were, these were mine. And actually, if any of you have taken the Myers-Briggs test or the Taylor-Johnson test, if you've ever taken others, kinds of things. Um, th this is pretty much in line with those tests. So there was, there's, there's some other tests out there that are not inherently kind of like Christian, but, but there's some overlap between those tests and this test. So uh, the first one for me was um, that, that I, I scored the highest on, on the, one of them was discernment. So I am a highly intuitive person, like off the charts. And that's what the Myers-Briggs says about me as well, that, that I'm just highly, highly intuitive. The other one is exhortation, uh, teaching, leadership, and word of wisdom. Did you, did you think that? You think so? Okay. So, um, and, and, and some of you might, might not, you know, I don't, I'm not asking, you know, what you think about that, but I'm just saying that's me. And I, when I read that, I thought, well, that, that seems to be pretty consistent with, yeah, yeah. We can look at each other, and because the gifts are so manifest in the person, like I, I can look at a lot of you and judge right away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing I'm going to get to. And look, this is this really goes to if you know what your gifts are, it really goes to the the essence of who you are as a person. And there are a lot of people who live out of step of what they are. So they're depressed, they're discouraged, they don't they don't have this sense of purpose and meaning in life because they don't they don't they haven't kind of like figured out, they don't know uh, what it is God has really made them to be. And so they're, they're busy trying to pound a square peg into a round hole, and it just doesn't work very well. But here's the other thing that I, I want to say just to pick up, and again, I'll get to this, but, but gifts that we think we have ought to really be affirmed by our fellow believers. Because I've said to you before, there are some people that I've met who said they felt like they had this gift or this gift, and I'm thinking, I haven't seen that, nor do I think they really have that ability but they're kind of like mm, sincerely deluded about their ability. So, I mean, they couldn't be more sincere, but they couldn't be more wrong either. So you can be sincerely wrong. So anyway, uh, so for those of you who took it, I'm glad you did. If you have not taken it, take the time. And uh, it's, not an, it's not an overwhelming thing. It's not uh, like intimidating. It's pretty easy uh, to do. So... I just really want to encourage you in that way. Now, when we were talking about, and see, again, for just, just to go back over, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who comprise what we call the Godhead, who is God. God the Holy Spirit works very intimately in our lives. He lives within us. And as such, then, there are many things that he does in our life to try and bring us to faith, to grow in our faith, 
to exercise our faith, um, to make us over into the image of Christ. And so some of the premier texts that I just talked about briefly last week was about not quenching the Spirit, not grieving the Holy Spirit, uh, the awareness that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. I'm, I belong to a number of different it's like discussion groups on Facebook. Uh, one of them is a philosophy group. Uh, it's a group of scholars who are on there. Many times religious topics or subjects come up in there, and people say these unbelievable things about God. And when they say them, my first inclination is sort of to debate or argue with them. But then I remember this text. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So there are certain things that I could try and talk to that person about, which, you know, Facebook in that way is like the worst possible platform to use. But they just, they don't, they're not interested. They just don't want to know. And so they can't understand because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them to guide them, to illuminate, to inspire, to show them what's really real and what is truly true. So the Holy Spirit also, you know, uh, illuminates to us that, look, the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh. There, you know, even though you're a believer, there are certain elements of our fleshly life, of our, the, the, uh, the carnate portion of our life that is like not interested in the things of God. And the spirit isn't always interested in the things that our flesh wants. So there's that. And then this idea of not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I think it's important to highlight those texts, and I said this last week, and this is just kind of just to refresh our memory and to inform those who weren't here, that when we are willfully ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit, when we knowingly suppress the gifts of the Spirit, when we actively deny the use of the gifts of the Spirit, when we consciously misuse the gifts of the Spirit, which people do, we may be flirting with the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit himself. This is a deep and very important and ominous teaching. And it is one of the reasons why the church falls down. I mean, if, if people of the world want to talk about us as not being relevant, being hypocritical, then it is almost always related to these kinds of things. Our way forward is embracing the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if we resist that, in whatever way that is, by denying our gifts, by not wanting to know what our gifts are, by not exercising our gifts, then, then, then we cannot be to the world what the world needs us to be. And as a result, on some level, we're living a deficient and hypocritical life. I just don't think, I just think you cannot get away from that. So, so many of the churches that struggle, and look, let me just say this. We're a relatively small church, and we have a few people here. I mean, we're, we normally have a, a bit more here than what we have here this morning, but we have people who listen online and all that kind of stuff, but uh, small churches are healthy for reasons that seem unhealthy, for reasons that seem to be obvious to many people. 
but there are many large churches out there that are really unhealthy for reasons that people cannot see. I've been in mega churches. I've been in medium-sized churches as a, as a staff person. I've been in small churches. I prefer a small church. I prefer this kind of an ethos, this kind of a culture. And I think we have a relatively healthy church in comparison. I want to reiterate then that everyone has one or more of the following gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the body of Christ and ministry to the world. And so just real quickly, you can see, if you'll just go forward to the, that list, uh, there are about 19 of them there, uh, the list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Austin, if you could advance it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one more, please. And just go toggle all the way down through that. Everyone here, everyone here has one or more of these. Probably several. Everyone here. This is the S. If you are a believer, this is what fills out your identity in Christ. This is, this is, this is your way to be God's grace to the world in which we live. So, if as a believer we don't know these, we don't embrace these, we don't use these, then we cannot be God's grace into the world in which we live. And people will suffer as a result of that. So um, I want to get to then some principles related to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Austin, I'm moving forward about four or five slides um, just for the sake of time because I do want to cover these. And the first one is all gifts, A, are providentially appointed individually and B, strategically dispersed among believers for his C, purpose and plan in this world. So if you believe that you are to belong to this church and you believe God calls you to this community, you believe all of those things, then you also believe that God has appointed you to be where you are to exercise what he has given you for the benefit of this community in this room, in this church, and the community at large in which we live. This is inescapable. The gifts that you have, it's like, it's like anything else. It's like ingredients. It's a chemistry. If you want to bake a cake, you don't get to decide what ingredients you want and what ingredients you don't want. You think, oh, eggs have too much cholesterol. I'm not going to use those, and you throw them out. Well, good luck with that cake. And it certainly will not be a blessing to anybody who's going to eat it. Right? So it is with the church. That when we don't, when, when believers within the church don't exercise the gifts that they have for the benefit of the body, then we're not going to be a very good cake. And we need to be a better cake, if that makes sense. So, number two, second principle. For the gifts uh, and calling of God are irre irrevocable, says Paul in Romans 11.29. In other words... God is so convinced of the gifts that he has given to you that they are irrevocable. They cannot be taken away. They will not be taken away. 
He is so convinced that they are necessary in the person and the place in which he has put that person that they were irrevocable. Imagine. You know, some people say, for example, um, uh, I, can, I can be replaced. You've heard that before, right? I can be replaced. I'm not necessary. Well, there is a certain sense here where if God's gift is irrevocable and it has been placed according to his plan, that maybe, just maybe, you can't be replaced. You're that important. You are that significant. Your life is that meaningful. We live in this wacky world where, again, I'll appeal to some of these uh, discussion groups. I'm on Facebook. Again and again and again, some of the most learned people that you would ever meet in your entire life. People who have academic letters behind them for a mile long. And, and the most significant, the most important thing they think that they can say when they talk in those places, when they write in those places, is this. Life is meaningless. That's what all their great learning has caused them to conclude. Life is meaningless, or life is fatalism. You don't get to choose. You are just, you are just whatever you do is the product of everything that came before you. It's the natural outcome. You don't really get to decide. Whatever decision that you made was fixed by all the stuff that came before you. Really? So if I'm a mass murderer, it's really not my fault. These are people who are influencing millions of young adults in our higher education system. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. So in his economy... You are important to his plan. And he gives us so much importance and so much relevance and so much what you would call autonomy, self-rule, that if we don't show up, then, then he, he will allow people to suffer. So don't blame God. Blame who? Us. That's right. Number three, every Christian has been given more, one or more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about that a little bit earlier, and I would just strongly encourage you to know what those are. Number four, natural talents given to use by God are usually a subset of the gifts of the Spirit. Natural talents given to us by God are usually a subset of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we'll talk, I'm going to unpack that in a few more minutes, but I just want you to say there is, I want to say from the outset that there is a distinction between those two. So the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and natural talents and skills, and this is just a thumbnail sketch, there are other things that could be said, are this. The gifts of the Spirit are given only to believers. If you do not have the gifts, you may not, you probably are not a believer. The gifts of the Spirit are given, so that big, huge list that I gave, that I showed you, if you don't have those gifts, you probably are not a believer. Those gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. 
Number two, talents are natural abilities given to all people. Although I have bumped into a person or two that I thought had no talents at all, which was really sad. But, but on the whole, talents are natural abilities given to all people. Um, and gifts of the Spirit are given only to believers. Go ahead to the next slide, Austin, if you would. Uh, and then the next one, if you would. Thank you. And then two down from there. Yep, there we go. Thank you. And so um, there's a kind of like, uh, so this talents are natural abilities given to all people. There are a lot of people out there who have phenomenal talents. And... Um, and those talents can be used for good or for bad. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you can see the connection here. Um, natural talents, number three, are attributes of the believer. Uh, to be used to enhance the gifts of the Spirit. And then number four, skills are acquired and or honed abilities through practice and discipline. So you can be talented at something, but unskilled in your talent. Right? You can be an athlete and be very, you can have great physical talent athletically, but it doesn't mean then that you don't, you don't need to develop skills that come through practice or knowledge that comes through practice or things like that. So, um, and, and so like, for example, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I've been getting a lot of, on my reels, I've been getting a lot of things, and I don't know why, but on Larry Bird. Any of you know who Larry Bird is? You all know who Larry Bird is? So, to a man, Anyone who's played to Larry Bird would say to you, here is a guy who cannot run very fast, who cannot jump, who doesn't look very impressive physically. And those same people said, and I saw this, they said, if you were to take LeBron James in his heyday and Larry Bird in his heyday, which one would you pick? They all said Larry Bird. So Larry Bird, uh, who was not gifted athletically, honed his skills and had a kind of knowledge of the game, of athleticism, that was beyond... In other words, most people... So let me just say this. Uh, and this is related. Uh, have you ever heard of a thing called multiple intelligences? You know, in the educational system, by and large, we've operated off what was called the Renaissance model. Do you know what the Renaissance model was in education? The Renaissance model in education said that in terms of giving kids skills educationally, that everybody ought to be able to do everything equally well. So you'll laugh at this. You should be able to do math as well as you do English or literature or any of those kinds of things, right? No way, right? I think I've said this before. I have one brain cell for math. In it is stored the word math. It's all used up, so I'm done when it comes to math. Now, but in multiple intelligences, 
So there are people who are particularly intelligent in mechanics. So sometimes when I deliver things on the, you know, uh, on the side and I go to a garage and uh, I have them sign this little pad, they give me an X or just a squiggle. Do you know why? They are illiterate. But you put them next to a car or to a truck and you say, hey, can you fix this? It's like falling off a log. They are so intelligent mechanically. Another multiple intelligence is intuition. The ability to know things, to sense things, to perceive things without having like direct evidence that that thing is there. You ever bump into a person and think, that person can read somebody's mind. How do they do that? That's a person who has intuition. And it is a kind of intelligence. There are people who have athletic intelligence, like Larry Bird. Who can do something athletically. I mean, he just knows. People would say, he's five moves ahead of the play. He just knows where everybody else is going to be. Rich, you're a basketball player. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. I am wrong. What, Larry Bird. No, you were not wrong about Larry Bird. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? I said, yes, I was a basketball player. I wasn't yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but, but in Rich's, Rich was like that, too. Rich, when he played basketball, or any sport for that matter, I mean, he was, that was one of the, his premier abilities, was his ability to know Athletically, not just perform athletically, but to see inside the game in a way that other people couldn't see. And it's a gift. It's a talent. So, um, so God gives us these kinds of talents. And those talents are to be used to enhance the gifts that he wants to give us. And when that happens, then you have men like uh, who's, that, who's that football player from the Texans, C.J. C.J. Stroud, who said and has been saying, my football playing, and he's taken the league by storm, so he may be the MVP of the, of the, of the NFL this year. I mean, he's in that, that discussion. said, my football playing is a platform that I use to tell people about Jesus Christ. So his talent... His ability is used to undergird the gifts that he has, God has given to him. And I'm guessing that part of that, that gift is the proclamation of the word. He wants to tell people about Jesus. He wants to evangelize. Number six, gifts are fundamentally connected to our purpose and meaning in life. I, I think I shared with you that for a lot of years, um, I kind of struggled knowing, wanting to know what my gifts were and in the back of my mind, I felt a lot of pressure for my gifts to be this because I had colleagues and friends and stuff who did these things. And, you know, they and so I would want to be like them. And so I would want to be like that. And then and, but but then I had these other more natural abilities. And so I just couldn't come to terms with that for a while. But when I did, when I came to terms with the gifts that God has given to me and the talents to undergird those gifts, when that happened, I felt an acute sense of purpose and meaning in my life. I mean, it just came together far more. 
and I didn't feel like I had to defend it. I was just more fulfilled because I was doing and being what I was. I mean, it's almost, it can be almost this wacky. If I ask one of you in this room, look, I know you're a little confused, but you just ought to be a zebra. Just be a zebra. Think, what are you talking about? Well, you know, look, just, and and by the way, if you think that's a little crazy, then it's really not because we have a whole social class out there that dress up in animal unis. And six weeks, two months ago, um, there was a school that was sued because the woman's daughter wanted to go to school as a cat, I kid you not, and she wanted a litter box in the girl's restroom for her to use. I don't think that's what God made her. So she's trying to be something she really is not. And I think there are people who try to exercise certain gifts or talents that they really are not that. And sometimes they do it in such a wild way. It's just as crazy as some young girl trying to be a cat using a litter box in a high school. Know your gifts. Know what they are. Be what they are so that you can have that kind of fulfillment in life. Number seven, every Christian should be curious about and resolute in the discovery and use of their gifts. So please... Take the test. Have discussion. Meet with me. Talk to our elders. Let's see how what God has made you and given you in that way and how those things can be used to benefit the kingdom of God. Number eight, some Christians have difficulty identifying and recognizing their gifts. Therefore, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ought to be identified and affirmed by the larger Christian community. So when I shared with you what I thought mine were, Two people said, yep, I think that's what you are. And that confirmed that, and that helps to give confidence about what it is that I think I do with my life. I bet there isn't a person in this room that hasn't struggled with this idea. Okay, so now that I'm a believer, what do I do with this? How do I make it meaningful, not only to myself more, but to other people as well? I'm saying to you, this is, this is how it begins right here. You know, this is like, you know, you discover what your gifts are and then you do it. And then you have the community say, yeah, we really see that in you. When I was at seminary in Trinity in Ambridge, both in my, my master's degree and my doctoral degree while I was there, um, we, we had a, a we, in that denomination, we had a thing called a commission on ministry. And there would, be, be, there would be people who would come to the seminary and think, I should be a pastor. And the Commission on Ministry would do this examination over time, watch them as they did certain tasks, and then some of them would say, no. We're pretty sure God called you to something else. And they would say, but I spent tens of thousands of dollars. Well, I, I know you did, but you know, you're, really, we can't affirm you. Because the stakes are too huge. If we say you have that ability and you go to a church and you don't have the ability to pastor a church, you're going to blow the place up. 
Now, we've all seen more than one church that's been blown up, right? By maybe even well-intentioned or sincere people who wanted to be pastors, but they just didn't have the ability. When I was a professor at Geneva College and I was in charge of all the youth ministry students, we would have students that come in to do youth ministry, and I would say to the department chair, I'd say, I'm telling you, I know we're getting tuition dollars from this person, but they should not go into youth ministry. They do not have the ability. That's why we should be a university. We should, turn, we should become a university. You have to come into the College of Youth Ministry. You have to demonstrate certain capacities and abilities. Then we can say, okay, now that you've demonstrated that, then, then now you can take these, these other kinds of courses and things like that so that we can then, when we send you, when you graduate, we can send the, say to any church that's looking for a youth minister, yep, we think this person has the ability. Please do whatever you can, hire them. And over the years, I've had some people get back to me and say, why did you do that to me? Why did you allow me to graduate from, from Geneva with a youth ministry degree? And every place I went, they fired me, they got rid of me, I couldn't hold on to a job, and they just would say to me, you just don't have the ability. And people's lives would be hurt, churches would be wounded, because we didn't have a mechanism in place to help confirm or affirm the gifts that they said that they had. So for what it's worth, you know, over the 2,000 year, years of history in the church, there's always been a kind of commission on ministry in some fashion or another, and now we don't have them because we're afraid we'll be sued or something like that. Or it's market-driven, you know, they're tuition dollars. I mean, we don't even have the cart in front of the horse there on some of that. You see what I'm saying? So number nine, some Christians erroneously believe they have been given certain gifts, born out of insecurity, ignorance, and pride. Again, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ought to be identified, affirmed by the larger Christian community. So some people don't know, and some people think they know. We have to help the people who don't know, and we have to help correct the people who think they know in a loving, kind, compassionate sort of way. Number 10, to not exercise our gifts or to exercise our gifts inappropriately withholds God's grace, resulting in suffering within the body and the world. So we talked about that. I want to underscore it again. I'm saying to you, this is our way forward for our church, for all churches. Number 11, to choose not to embrace and exercise the gifts, uh, to choose not to embrace and exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us may be tantamount to the rejection of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is at work in our life and we are rejecting the way in which he wants to work in our life, we are rejecting him, not just those things about us. We are rejecting him. And as believers, we have to be very, very careful with that. I mean, that is, that is acute rebellion, disobedience. I've been meeting with this young man who... Uh, who has said to me, uh, no one in this church, but who has said to me, for years I've been resisting the Holy Spirit. He has been trying to pull me into his orbit for me to be obedient and to live my life and to, for me to do it. He says, and I know, I know, I know I have been resisting him. And it's time for me to change my life in that regard. So I said, great. 
So he says, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to teach me the Bible. I want to understand it. So I said, well, look, I'm too busy. I can't. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> because guess what? That's part of my calling and part of my gifts, right? So, that's, so what happens if I don't do that? I'm rejecting my gifts. I'm rejecting my calling. And he may suffer as a result of that. Number 12, the metric used for judgment for the believer is predicated on how faithfully we use our gifts of the Spirit and fruits of the Spirit for Christ and his kingdom. When we stand before the Lord, the metric is not just how did you become Christ-like, because see, look, if you become Christ-like, you automatically exercise the gifts. You can't be Christ-like, not exercise the gifts of the Spirit. It's impossible. So the metric then is, how faithful were we in that judgment? So in that second judgment. So the first judgment is, are you a believer? Enter into my joy. Yes, right? Second judgment, let's look at your life and see how faithful you lived your life. Let's see how Christ-like you've become through the exercise and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's... That's part of the equation in the judgment. I think that's inescapable. So if you're concerned about the judgment, then you should be concerned about your gifts and the exercise of them. Number 13, the exercise of our gifts as given to us by the Holy Spirit is affirming and self-authenticating and wonderfully life-giving. The more we practice them, the more our life and faith is recalibrated. If you are bored with your faith, if you are wondering about its relevancy, if you wish that there was more passion associated with it, then I'm saying to you that the reason why that's probably the case is because either we do not know or are not in touch or are not exercising the gifts that he has given us that inwardly empower us, affirm us, uh, and encourage us and exhort us so we become what we are. It's sort of like, uh, this is, well, I'm really dating myself. Uh, the movie um, where the guy's the runner from Ireland. Chariots of Fire, thank you. And, and so, um, you know, the, the classic statement in the whole movie is, when I run, I feel his pleasure. So his talent was running. His calling was to use his running to advance God's kingdom, to evangelize or whatever. And that when he ran, he felt God's pleasure in his life. When you exercise your gifts, you will feel God's pleasure. And your life will take on a new kind of vibrancy. So next week, I'm going to talk about these key texts as related to the gifts, and then I think we'll be done. So, um, so if you haven't taken the gifts test, I just really would strongly encourage you to do that. Maybe next week again, I'll ask the question, what was your experience with that? You can share a little bit if you want. I'd like, as you take them, I'd like for you to think about, okay, how does this fit in with this body of Christ here? 
How can that be a blessing? How can that be a means of grace? How can I, how can this thing that God has given me or these things that God, how can, how can it make the world a better place? As Christ wants it to be.